welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. October 3rd, preparing for week six. Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons. We got the Dodd Father, Dennis Dodd, coming up a little bit later. He's got his latest hot seat rankings update. Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, how they comparing to each other? Who got the heat on their seat? Dennis will let us know. Barton, how you doing? Chip, I'm good. Good. Uh, gearing up for another good weekend of football. Um, anxious to talk to the Dodster. And... Uh, you know, man, this is this is we're, we're we got some good games coming up this weekend. But by the way, and we were just talking a little bit beforehand. How about the stretch George is about to go on here? Yeah, they got a little preview with Vanderbilt, and then at LSU, Florida, at Kentucky, and then Auburn. Man, that's a I, all of a sudden, you know, we thought Georgia was going to cruise through the schedule with LSU being better than they than we thought, with Kentucky being better than we thought, both those games being on the road. Uh, you know, we may actually learn something about Georgia next next month or so. I think Georgia, I over under losses heading into the SEC championship game. If it's set at point five, I'm going over. I feel confident Georgia is going to lose one regular season game this year. Yeah, I mean that's a combination of them being perhaps not bulletproof and and like I said, I think just having having more losable, like having more worthy opponents than maybe the preseason schedule we gave them credit for. Uh, so that's 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 going to be fun. Speaking of those Georgia Bulldogs, we got a uh, – we, we're talking a little we, – we talk about the, the total 24-7 sports team talent composite often on this, uh, not only because the, uh, the, the 24-7 sports and, and all the greatness that we get from that, but also because it's a, a great look uh, not just at – the recruiting rankings, but also the 24-7 sports team talent composite factors in attrition, factors in you know exactly what the, the player ratings were of the players that are on that roster. Because you could, might sign a top five class, but if you know half the four stars and five stars from that class transfer out, and then all of a sudden, you know, what's or they'll qualify left? or get arrested or yeah. get dismissed or whatever else. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, it's it's almost a little disappointing that you were very quick to mention uh, how often that happens. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, and the flip side of it, too, is is I think a big thing that the team talent composite ranking does is it, you know, a school like Stanford, who has almost no attrition, who guys, even if they're not playing, they want to they want to finish at Stanford and get their degree. Uh, who guys don't typically transfer out? Guys don't typically get dismissed. Those like they have smaller recruiting classes. So just by the nature of having smaller recruiting classes, they they don't they aren't ranked as high um, traditionally as the other big name programs. But when you look at just holistically, like who is actually on their roster based on that limited attrition, then suddenly they they're, they start looking a little better than their their recruiting rankings do on average. So. Um, those are the sort of things that the team talent composite helps us identify. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs currently at number three. Where in, in looking up that is, is it split between uh, the youngsters and the upperclassmen? Georgia's. So Georgia inherited a pretty good roster. Um, 
when Kirby Smart arrived. Um, so like there, for example, in 2015, 2015 season, uh, Georgia had the number six roster in the country. Uh, the number in the 2016 season, which was that was Kirby Smart's first year, right? Right. So that was they still had the number six roster in the country. Um, last year, the let me see. Last year, Georgia, when they went to the college football national championship, their roster was up to four, um, and they're up to three now because Kirby had the number six recruiting class in the country, the number four recruiting class, three recruiting class in the country, and the number one recruiting class in the country. So, you know, that tells me not only is it already a talented roster, but the the talent is backloaded um, with high level young guys. So this is just the beginning for Georgia. This is just the uh, this is we're just getting started. That's uh that's exact. I mean that was my hunch. I didn't I don't have it pulled up right now, but that was my hunch is that we saw like you looked at this Georgia team and you were thinking about some of the drain. Like, oh my gosh, they're not gonna have Roquan Smith. They're not gonna have Lorenzo Carter. Uh, they're not gonna have Nick Chubb. They're not gonna have Sony Michelle. But man, if if that like if if we're watching this Georgia team progress and as we're as i'm sitting here throwing out the bold take that there is one regular season loss somewhere there's also probably the packaged intake that given the total team talent and where it's dispersed among the classes i don't know if georgia is going to be losing more than two regular season games anytime for like the next three years no it doesn't look like there's there's going to be two losses on that schedule uh any time in the near future. I mean, they're, they are recruiting at Bama, sort of at a Bama level lately. Um, and, you know, I, Alabama's number two on this list, which is sort of surprising considering this looks like their best team yet. I think the, the reason for that is, is in part due to Georgia. Um, you know, look, the, 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 the bulk of this Alabama team is the sophomore and junior class. Uh, they lost a record number of players to the NFL draft last year under Nick Saban, and they backfilled that group with what was Nick Saban's worst recruiting class in eight years, which which was the number five recruiting class in the country. Um, so that's that. So so I think this, you know, having Alabama at number two is a little bit of a speaking to all right. Maybe there's a, a small crack that someone could take advantage of and sort of get up to Alabama talent over the next year or so. It's not this year, um, but it's going to take someone out recruiting Alabama again this year. And that could be Georgia. That could, you know, Kirby smart is, it did it last year. He's, he's got, you know, they're, they're on pace to, to battle for the number one class again this year. And so that, that is a real competition in terms of for the first time ever, it looks like the future allows the possibility that someone might have a more talented roster than Alabama. Though clearly this year, it doesn't look like that's the case as far as the players that are actually contributing and playing. We're going to be asking Dennis Dodd about Urban Meyer here in just a little bit. Uh, that Ohio State team, though, number one, most talented team in the country. You just saw him, you just saw him in person. The, I mean, is it, it when you see Ohio State come out of the tunnel – are are you just like flashing back to all the camps where you've seen every single one of these guys? A little bit, but even so, like a guy like Chase Young, who was a freak in, oh in high school, you know, like that, he was a freak. But when you take a freak and you kind of like, like 
turn up the, the freak on him even more and like at like like put him in Mickey Mariotti's um, strength and conditioning program and you see that guy running around before the before the game like that he's unbelievable looking he is unbelievable looking and that that's I mean he uh, even among those Ohio State guys he looks different um, and so when you look across the board and and you look at all their I mean the reason that they beat Penn State was because they just had better athletes on the outside and they just gave them the football. I mean, that's sometimes you see it really show up, and that's what happens. You know, they just they said, "All right, we're having a hard time getting the ball down the field. All right, we're having a hard time getting, you know, consistent push in the run game. All right, well, let's just let's just throw the ball in the perimeter to our our, our four and five star wide receivers and just see if they can make somebody miss." And and they did, um, and so. That's where you see that that sort of thing show up. Usually, you see it show up in the trenches, but on Saturday night, we saw it show up on the perimeter. So, and and again, I think that speaks to you know as much the future of Ohio State as it does this season, because I think you just look at Ohio State's roster and you say, all right, they are it is a very healthy roster beyond this year. Um, so that's and and look when you look around the country too. Clemson, this is the best roster they've had. I think we expected that this year, but in terms of the the way they've recruited, this is the most talented roster they've had. Um, they got to start playing like that, but there's a reason why people expected them to play be in the college football playoffs this year. LSU six in the in the team talent composite. You know that's that explains why like you can't ever fully doubt LSU preseason. I don't care what you think about Coach Ogeron. I don't think care what you think about their quarterback situation. They when you got Grant Delpit and and Devin White and um, you, you know Braden Pahoko and and all these guys running around on defense, you always got a chance. And, and I think we're seeing that right now. If you talk about disappointing teams, I mean USC's fourth, Florida State's seventh. But I mean, USC's got to be more disappointing than Florida State. There, uh, do they? I mean, well. You jump you off. Me. You, I think you jump off from Pac-12 champions, like as opposed to last season. We've got a continuation, and, and look, Sam Darnold was there. Sam Darnold is not there, sure. Um, but I, I think that the if you if you were to take a snapshot of, you know, where USC was at in in like a rolling twelve month span at this point for Florida State, we knew something was wrong. We didn't know how long that was going to linger in terms of a super, super talented roster not being able uh, to perform and impose its will against lesser opponents. But USC was was rolling. I mean, U- USC was on its way to winning the Pac-12 title. And to have that drop off um, to USC being probably a, a high tier two Pac-12 team, I I think that is more disappointing. Yeah, the drop off from last season definitely. But I, I still, but when I look at Florida State and I look at all right, yes, let's look at one on one matchups across the board. Let's compare Cam Akers to who, whatever linebackers lining up across the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's a, it's a no brainer. Let's compare Tamori and Terry to whatever cornerbacks trying to cover him. Let's compare, let's compare Landon Dickerson, offensive tackle, to whatever defensive end there. Like that's kid supposed to be better than that guy. Let's compare Brian Burns to whatever offensive tackles on the other side. I mean, you get the point. Like Levante, they have dudes, and so I just I'm having a hard time. And maybe it began last year. Maybe we, you know, some of the blame goes to, to Jimbo Fisher. 
and being too loyal to an assistant coaching staff that wasn't getting the job done developmentally. Certainly on the offensive line, there are major flaws <clears throat> to what they've to what they've recruited and what they've put on the field. Um, so I just think Florida State doesn't get a pass just because they weren't that good last year. But I will, I mean, but clearly, as someone that had high expectations for USC, there's a there's a major disappointment there. I mean, they that's the number four roster in the country. They don't really have the excuse on the offensive line. Like they've, this has been a, an ongoing struggle. They should be better there. Um, and they should be able to run the ball with Steven Carr for more than 13 yards. Like, so yeah, like I, I do, I don't disagree with you. I just don't think Florida state should get a pass. <laughs> Stop giving Florida <laughs> state a pass. <laughs> Um, all right. So what are right, Let's take, let's think about teams that have, cause this is, you know, you wrote it within the context of, uh, let's see what's happened on the field. Let's see what the talent is behind it. Uh, what about a team like Notre Dame? What's, what's the, what do the numbers say about the, the talent on that roster? Yeah. I think if you look at Notre Dame at number 10 in this, in this team talent composite ranking, like that's, that tells you about what, like, that speaks to what Notre Dame is. I think that's a fair representation of what Notre Dame is. Like, anyone that's sort of trying to overlook Notre Dame and, and I, I don't know, there's this sort of perception of Notre Dame that they're not overachieving is the wrong word, but that, that they should, they're not a realistic top five, top four contender. And I think a number 10 roster tells you that they're, they are. I mean that that's that's sort of the range you got to be in to be in that contention, and granted, like I think that with the caveat that they're actually playing with the they're playing better with the lower rated quarterback and Ian Book over Brandon Wimbush, but when you look at the talent that's there, this this is not they're not a bunch of overachievers. Like these guys can go, um, these guys can can match up, and particularly when you look at when I watched what Notre Dame did to Stanford. Against a Stanford offensive line that's – maybe this is a little bit of a down year on the Stanford offensive line. They've not necessarily been as dominant as, you, as they tr- traditionally are. But they got some good offensive linemen that were getting worked on the edge, that were getting worked in the interior by Jerry Tillery. Um, you know, you start to think, all right, if Notre Dame's got like a big-time defensive front, that's what, you, that's, that's what you need to be able to compete. And, we, you know, we're, we're confident in Notre Dame's offensive line. So when you get into those playoff matchups, if you're up, if you're good up front, and if that number ten roster reflects good recruiting in the trenches, then that's a pretty good indicator. I wonder, is the loss of Mike Bloomgren coming up? Is like, is that? It, I was thinking that this today as well. Like I, I, I had the same sort of question because he ran. Uh, he was offensive line. Uh, I guess he was even offensive coordinator by the end, but I felt like he was there pretty much since um, David Shaw took over. He, yeah, I mean, he was, and I think he really kept them honest with regard to their, um, you know, emphasis in the run game. And, and so that he's gone and he's at Rice now, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to wonder. All right, let's let's see over time if this offensive line continues to struggle, um, because that's I was I was sort of shocked to see. I mean, guys like Julian Aquara, um, you know, just I mean, they, 
that they were just straight up beaten. The but they and they couldn't ball. they couldn't really get it rolling against uh, USC either. Yeah, the run game just isn't there right now. Uh, and so yeah, that's something to watch. I think that's a storyline to keep an eye on. Eight seasons uh, as offensive line coach and. Uh, the first two run game coordinator, the last six as offensive coordinator and assistant head coach. And yeah. I think Rice is going to be good eventually under him too. I know oh. it's going to look ugly this year. Oh yeah, well, you, you think, called your shot early. You saw you saw yeah. Rice running some Stanford, and you were like, "Oh <laughs> yeah, let's go Owls." <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's going to take time. Obviously, switching from like a pass happy offense to what they're doing now, but. I do think they'll eventually get that thing rolling. Um, you know, on the flip side, Tennessee's got the 15th best roster in the country. 15? According to, according to 50 or 15? 15. Wow. Um, UCLA's got the 19th best. Nebraska's 25th. Uh, I think I think Tennessee, you blame development. Maybe a little bit of valuation. Like, they may have picked the wrong four and five stars, but I think development really is the thing that really is the big – the the has plagued Tennessee because you know I think culturally that this is they weren't it wasn't a strong culture there under Bush Jones they didn't the guys were a little bit front runners they you know we've seen on the field them sort of quit at times and they didn't get like strength and conditioning was a huge issue uh, at Tennessee and they just didn't have a good development program there and I think that is what we're, you know we're seeing that um. We're seeing that play out right now. Uh, but again, that's sort of one of the, the biggest, I'd say it may, maybe the biggest sort of contrast to where the talents, even more so maybe than Florida State and USC, because you still sort of see those guys run around at Florida State and USC. You see moments, the flashes. Tennessee, you don't even really see the flashes. Um, you know, UCLA at 19, I think that's more of a product of, I think they've got good players, but offensive line was so had so far to go. Like they 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 the previous staff failed at offensive line, um, and so that's sort of brought the, the the rest of the team down to a certain degree. And then Nebraska, I don't know. I was a little surprised to see them 25th. I, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I'm not surprised to see the 25th. I'm surprised to see the 25th best roster struggling, struggling. The way it is yeah. year one. You know, because I I actually kind of did think they had some players. Um. And it doesn't, you know, those guys aren't flashing through four weeks of the season. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I wasn't very smart when I was making my preseason analysis of this Nebraska team. I kind of talked myself into about eight wins. Is that your fault? Might have been. Might have been my fault. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm waving. I've been waving the Scott Frost flag pretty heavily, and, I, and I'm still surprised. You know, and I'm still not going to be, but I'm not going to be surprised if they beat someone later in the year. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cling to that. They're going to pull an upset to to give to give the feel good sort of off season, um, to jumpstart a feel good off season. Buying stock in Scott Frost, I think that's smart. Predicting Nebraska uh, might win eight or nine games, as I did in this season, that was not smart. Um, you know what's not smart? Making the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan. And you know what else is not smart? The fact that there are job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7 sports to hire the right 
person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job. Then ZipRecruiter actively invites them to apply so that you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined $20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make $13 million more than the entire map. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, the Dodd father, Dennis Dodd. He is currently preparing his body for fried Coca-Cola and all sorts of deep fried goodness that you can get down at the Texas State Fair. He will be at the Red River Rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas. Of course, the the premier game of the weekend. Uh, we got a lot to get to, including some of your travels, where you've been, what you've seen. Uh, we get to revisit the hot seat. But so let's just open open ended, Dennis. How how are you feeling yeah. at this point in the season? October third, the first month is in the in the backpack. Where are we at right now? You know, I'm really looking for some drama. You know, I guess the one of the biggest upsets was BYU over Wisconsin. Um, obviously, the old Dominion game, but they're one and four, and so it's hard for me to get past the top four or five teams and really feel like any of them are going to be challenged. I guess you know, Clemson kind of let itself back in the door with the Kelly Bryant thing, but it's my I, I've said this for a week now that I think Dabo Sweeney knew exactly what he was doing when he, you know, made this possible, made this quarterback controversy possible, that the worst case scenario is the one he's living right now. And that is that he's got Trevor Lawrence for three years trying to beat Alabama. And that's not such a bad thing. Now you figure in the Kelly Bryant thing, injury, well, you know, or I'm sorry, the Trevor Lawrence injury, and he knew that was a possibility, too. But he's got three years to beat Alabama because that's their mark right now. That's who they have to beat to get to the top. But the napkin, we laugh with you about the uh, the napkin that you can yes, throw over yes. the national championship contenders. I, I agree with you that there certainly seems like a defined tier. But as we enter October, I just can't help but have these these haunting memories of uh, college football seasons past where at the beginning of you know week six or week seven, we felt like we could just fast forward to the playoff and time and time again. I mean, this just this past weekend, you know, how different would we be talking about uh, this? If, if the 1% probability that Penn state uh, had not lost that game when there were eight minutes left, if Penn state gets that yes. win, you know, how differently we're looking at it. So I, I feel like I am confident that the contenders are the contenders. I am not confident that the contenders are going to win out. If that makes sense. I, and, and throw into that mix uh, Notre Dame, who may or may not have just become a contender. Right. You know, and, and what does 12-0 and 0 mean to the committee when they told the Big 12 four years ago that you needed that 13th data point? Uh, you know, may, maybe not at 12-0. and 0. So, that, you know, that they're going to be, if they go 12-0, and 0, and I think that's probably the only way they get in, 
they're going to be in competition with 12 and one conference champions, which uh, a championship is, by the way, I think the number one criteria. Well, that's something Notre Dame can never attain. So you're you're right. Um, there there is there is some drama. We know that history tells us that. Heading into this season, we we were all looking at Notre Dame's schedule. And we were saying, man, this is a whoo, that's a tough schedule. Yeah, good luck Notre Dame. There's there's not really a week <laughs> off. And now here we are, and like the you know all the good teams on the schedule aren't so good anymore. And and um, granted, they've got two good wins against uh, Stanford and and Michigan. But I'm curious how you think the committee will perceive Notre Dame if they go undefeated and USC is as bad as they. Yeah, might be and Virginia Tech's the bottom falls off there and then suddenly that schedule is because like you got to give them credit they tried really hard to, to to challenge themselves with a loaded schedule but as as the world turns this schedule has just not lived up to its preseason billing do you think like is do you get any credit for effort on, on schedule building yeah I mean it's trending more towards eye test isn't it um now, Michigan seems to have righted itself. They have to hope Michigan and Stanford win out or play well the rest of the season. Virginia Tech, I think, has a chance to be ranked by the end of the year. Uh, you know, I, look, their best chance uh, late may be Syracuse. Syracuse looks like a pretty good team or, or a team that's maturing into something. But but you're right. The schedule opens up uh, this week with at a Virginia Tech that's now playing its backup quarterback. Uh, Pitt just got waxed by UCF. At, you know the Navy game at San Diego will be tough because Navy's always tough to play. But it, it's it's one of those neutral side Irish classic games. I don't know what to think of Northwestern. Florida State at Notre Dame looks like a you know from a month and a half away it looks like a a blowout. Uh, Syracuse at Yankee Stadium and that at, at USC that that could wreck the whole thing. You know we we don't know how good USC is right now, but that looks like a that looks like a uh, a grenade dropped into the foxhole right now. As you look at, ahead to, to this weekend, uh, you are going to be at probably the most compelling game of the weekend, certainly, arguably, the Red River. I like calling it a shootout. Uh, yeah, uh, please. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> the Red River shootout, uh, Oklahoma, Texas. Um, what What's uh, – What's got you excited about this one? What made you uh, anxious to get to this one? Well, for one of the few times in recent years, it's you know it's a compelling game. We know about Oklahoma now. Texas is off to a good start. I don't think they'll win, but I've seen so many weird things happen in this game that you know you don't know what to think. Uh, Bob Stoops owned uh, Texas for years. Was throwing up 60 on them for years. Uh, Texas has gone away and hasn't had a quarterback since that 09 season. They may have one now, but their defense is carrying them. So what does that mean against an Oklahoma team that is just lighting up the scoreboard again with Kyler Murray and a defense, frankly, that is, is 91st in the country and, and shining a bright, uh, light on Mike Stoops again. But, no, I just it's look, it's uh, it's at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's it's the I've just been to so many games. I, I clearly remember this is one of my favorite memories. It was either one of the fan bases. I can't remember, but they were carrying around a handmade sign that would not imagine this. It would change. They, they had the lettering so that they could change the, the time of day by hand. So let's say it's two thirty seven. 
And then it would go to 238 and someone would be there in the crowd to, to put a piece of paper up that said 238. And it said, it's 238 and Texas still sucks. And they, <laughs> and they were walking around minute by minute changing the <laughs> – and it was huge. It was like it was like a big billboard type thing. Um, yeah, the uh, the Elvis carved out of butter. Uh, you, you have to see that. Uh, the fried beer, the turkey legs. Um, we were we were talking before. There's a reason this game is played at 11 in the morning. It, it is in a sketchy neighborhood, and if you had all those people drinking it at, at a true state fair, folks, it's a it's a state fair. It's a big ass thing all day it would be it would be kind of dangerous at night so it's just it's just a great atmosphere i i found in uh checking out some of the player comments from oklahoma from the you know the game week media availability comments from marquise brown who who seemed to indicate that you know it wasn't until he finally got into that stadium and experienced that atmosphere that it really clicked for him and then uh, to listen to Kyler Murray, who, of course, grew up in Texas and was one of the most highly touted uh, players coming out of the state. He was intimately aware, you know, his his dad being a, a Texas A&M quarterback. He hated Texas. Like, I I, I can't help but look at this, uh, look at Kyler Murray in particular and this Oklahoma offense and just think about where, where he sits in this particular moment with this opportunity because he is in the you know, large picture of rank the quarterbacks in college football. I don't, I don't know anyone who's going to put Tua anywhere outside of number one. But as the, right. I think the way we talk about Kyler Murray as an individual and as a college football player, not just a you know top ten Oakland A's draft pick, I, I think that he this is a big turning point for him in the 2018 season. Well, is it is it possible? I think this is a, a question of the day. Is it possible that? that Oklahoma's gotten better at quarterback. I, I think they they have. You know, can they win two straight Heismans? It, Kyler Murray's different than Baker Mayfield in that, you know, he, he's not as accurate as Baker Mayfield, but nobody is. But he sees the field so well, and obviously his legs are better, his mobility is better, and he doesn't turn the ball over. Not that Baker Mayfield did a lot, but I think, I think he's just a, a better athlete. Uh, and, you know, I really thought with his height, I think he's – Gosh, I, I want to say he's five ten. I don't know what they list him at. That he'd have problems seeing over the over the defense, but they have enough rolling pockets with him, and he gets outside and sees guys, and he has elite receivers. That, yeah, I I, I think look, I I think they're they're better at quarterback, and I think that's one of the questions that at least are going to be addressed this weekend by either after the game or during the game by by a snarky columnist like myself. Oh, I. So, I Go ahead, Barton. <laughs> well, well, so you're you're there. I mean, you sound like I'm not there. Saying, I mean, uh, Dennis, are you saying you're there? You think they're better at quarterback right now than they were last year? I, I think I, right now, uh, again, you can't make absolute statements five weeks right. in. But what's that going to look like if he keeps doing this against a, a, a pretty salty Texas defense? That's a strength of the team on national television. Again, you know, let's remember that the Army game is on pay per view. So this isn't this isn't a program's been exposed all over the country although they have no problem with that uh yeah no i i, I think he is I, I i that could change i mean texas could shut him down yeah i, I i'm i that, i don't dismiss that at all like i'm i'm very willing to entertain that that yes. they're a better quarterback i think the one thing and i think you're you're kind of alluding to this too like the one baker mayfield 
did it in such big moments. And yes. I think we've yet to see Kyler Murray tested in that capacity. Like this, and this, so to that point, this is where we find out. Like this is a big moment against a really good defense on a big stage. Um, so this is where Kyler Murray sort of states his case relative to Baker Mayfield, I guess. Yeah, and he right, he does. Their their two biggest moments, his two biggest moments, have been at Iowa State, which was a which was a was a tough one for a while um, on the road, and the only road game they've played so far. And then Army getting the ball only 16 minutes of possession, they had to be very efficient, and and he was. Uh, uh, they're they are. I looked it up yesterday. I think Oklahoma is 120th in time of possession. In other words, only 10 teams or worse. So they've had to be very efficient with it when they have the ball um, to the point that I think they're averaging. I love this stat. Oklahoma is averaging 1.87 uh, points per minute of possession, which is the best way to measure an offense. You know, not points per game necessarily which they're scoring 45 a game, but but points per minute of possession. The last two games, the opposition has won, uh, run twice as many plays, 188 to 94, and held the ball uh, 68% of the time. So I think what Army did, I think you're going to see teams try to do that. Better, better said than done. Um, but I think you're going to see Texas try to do that too, just to keep him off the field. So we shall see. And I do think it is, uh, it's worth considering one reason I'm not all the way there with the Baker Mayfield is that Baker Mayfield had all of that time and all of that sort mm-hmm. of institutional knowledge of the Lincoln Riley offense to the point mm-hmm. that during his Heisman winning season, I mean, he, he was, he was an offensive coordinator out there on the field, being able to understand what he needed to do. I don't know if we've seen, uh, I don't, I don't, it'll be interesting to see if Kyler Murray is there because this is this has been uh, a sort of a, a slow development to this point for him. Uh, you know, only getting to see him in glimpses, spring game performances. You know, a little bit of mixed reviews. But this is going to be like Texas's defensive backfield, and well, Barton was on it earlier. Like this is this is a really really salty Texas secondary. This might be one yeah. of the toughest uh, challenges on that front that Kyler Murray's going to face all year. Yeah, and I forgot that. Uh... I didn't look it up. He he is right at the same uh, completion percentage as Baker Mayfield. I think Baker was seventy one percent last year, and um, Kyle Murray seventy point six. So he's right there um, and is on track to throw for like four thousand yards. Uh, so, um, and I think he's second in the country in touchdowns or tied for second. But yeah, they're they're going to throw everything at him. Look, guys, this this is a game where usually you really can throw the records out the window, and and this time Texas is pretty good. Uh, you know, I thought the game at at Kansas State might trip them up. But they just survived. They hadn't won there since 2002, so that was a benchmark. I thought they crossed. Uh, so that you know, they're going to try to control the ball. Sam Ellinger is better. I don't know if he's arrived, but he's better. He's the closest thing they've probably had to a, I don't know, Barton. You tell me a difference making quarterback in 10 years, but you know that gives them a chance. You're going to be. Fortunately, it's an 11 a.m. game, so you can yes. get in there, settle in, and maybe have a have a cold beer after the game, and then you get to settle in at night and and actually get to watch a little ball. Which is which game more interests you out of the SEC? Kentucky heading to State College or Auburn heading to Starkville? Or I'm sorry, Kentucky heading to College Station or Auburn yeah. heading to Starkville? 
Uh, I think Auburn heading to uh, to Starkville. I'm not sold on um, on Auburn's offense yet. I don't think they, I don't think they can run the ball effectively. And this is that type of game where you know Mississippi State, who doesn't look like uh, Nick Fitzgerald looks like he's regressed, and the, the offense looks like it's regressed a little bit, where they just shut them down on the road. Uh, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for that moment, and you know it's coming at LSU and Auburn when those two schools lose a game they shouldn't or, or just lose a game let's put it that way and the fan base is just lose their minds uh i think that th- this could be that game so do, do you of those teams who are you who do you think is more um fraudulent i guess and is is the strong way of stating it but who, who do you trust less between auburn and lsu right now Ooh, gosh uh i think you know what? I, like think, you- I, I think I think Auburn because yeah, I think LSU has kind of figured out a way to game plan around Joe Burrow. If, if that makes sense, um, you know, you, you don't want to stretch him out there. He's doing very well. He's not turning the ball over, but you don't want to put the game on his back. And the game really hasn't been on his back. He's been very efficient. You know, they did that for years at Alabama. That's not a bad thing. And I'm not car- comparing him to AJ McCarron or anything, but. Uh, the defense is going to carry them. And I just keep coming back to November 3rd. They get Alabama there. And, God, we just we just need to see Alabama tested. Part of that is that this is an epically good team, maybe the best one Nick Saban's ever had, maybe the best one Alabama's had since Bear Bryant. Um, but but they need to play somebody. And I keep, I, I'm actually seeing this in my Twitter feed. Well, they haven't played about well, they, they, they played a Louisville team that's down. They went out and scheduled that game, so let's, let's not rip them there. Um, and they played Ole Miss, who's not as good as they, – they've played Ole Miss in conference, and they're not as good as we thought they were. But I'm still waiting for that test, and I think LSU holds a little bit of that in their hands. It's got to be LSU because yeah. it doesn't look like it's going to be Mississippi State. It doesn't look like it's going to be Auburn. And they already got past Texas A&M. I thought Texas A&M was probably their toughest test so far. It was the closest uh, point spread because because um, they didn't cover Alabama's right. <laughs> Alabama's gone over and covered. An interesting number. I did I did this a couple of weeks ago. So I was look when they were blowing everybody out. Uh, it, the last forty since the beginning of the fifteen season, they've played forty nine games and won forty five of them. I think. Well, they're not only blowing everybody out; they're blowing the line out. At two weeks ago, they were they were twenty two twelve. And two against the line as as a double digit favorite. I'm sorry, as a double digit favorite. Now they've lost the last two. You know they lost to uh, they lost to uh, A&M and 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 Lafayette covered. And they're up like 49 nothing in the second yeah. quarter, and then they uh, and then they just took a, took a foot off the gas. Yeah. So they're so they're 22 14 and two as double digit favorites. That's not bad. Um, for CBSSports.com. You are the hot seat aficionado, and uh, and so you've got the preseason hot seat, which we discussed here on the podcast this week. We had the the hot seat update along the way, and the one that I think is going to draw the most attention is going to be taking Urban Meyer from untouchable status. And remember, oh, yeah. it's always zero to five. Taking Urban Meyer from zero to a three. And we've lightly discussed on this podcast the the reports about 
uh, Ryan Day, the Ryan Day coaching waiting discussions that might be going on at the university level. Of course, Gene Smith denied such reports, and Urban Meyer said he, quote, hadn't put any thought to it. What do you think the end of the Urban Meyer era looks like in terms of, uh, you know, does he go out on his own terms? Is this a decision where Ohio State is the the one who puts an end to it? Is the end of the Urban Meyer era 10 years away or is it three years away? How how are you visualizing this now? It's my personal opinion. He's gone after this season. Wow. Uh, a mute. I, I don't know how it looks. It could be a mutual parting of the ways. He go. They're tired of him. He's tired of them. I, I just. I just think it's. It's done. Now they may win the national championship. I. I don't know. You know they could. We know that. But. But here's what it boils down to for me. After everything that's happened since July 25th, would any of us bet a mortgage payment that that nothing else comes up regarding? Urban Meyer between now and January 1st or, or ever anything in his past and his future is as volatile as he has been at Florida and Ohio state. I, I wouldn't make that bet. Um, so I, I, I just, I just think in my personal opinion, I think he's gone after this year. Now, at, at, as far as going from a zero to a three, yeah, his, we were talking about his job in August, whether he'd keep his job, a trustee quit because he didn't think he was, penalized enough he's been suspended for three games and he still hasn't uh said if courtney smith's allegations are credible and he probably never will because i don't think he believes her so all that being the case uh yeah i i think it's very um logical to put him from a zero to a three so you think it might Where, be this uh, oh. year What's that? I was just just like I I was just still letting it settle in. The end of this year, the Urban Meyer era might come to a close. Yeah, I yeah, and I'm, look, I'm not saying he'll be fired. I just think there's he, there can't be, and he can't get a jaywalking ticket considering what's happened. You know, are, are we to believe there's not something at Florida that's going to be reported or something else, or I, or 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 he's so mad at Ohio State that he just says, forget it. I'm going to the NFL or some other place or USC if they fire Clay Helton or something like that. Because I, I think there's a, there's a talk speaking of toxic relationships. I think there's a toxic relationship there. I don't think he's very happy with the people that are above him. Well, on the other end for the seats cooling off, you've got Jim Harbaugh. Now Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. has been like the, as, as we talk about some of our picks and the locks, it seems like the Michigan when it faces teams that it has uh, athletic and physical advantage against, particularly in Michigan Stadium, they roll them up. And they survived yeah. the test at Northwestern. But I've, Jim Harbaugh, for so, for so long uh, throughout the last couple of years, his, the analysis of you know, where he sits in terms of the Michigan faithful has to do with what's going to happen in some of these bigger games, what's going to happen in some of these rivalry games. Do you... Do you see a correlation between the trouble for Urban Meyer and Ohio State? And like, does that, by comparison, take heat off of Jim Harbaugh? I don't know. I know I, I hadn't contemplated that. I don't, and I don't think so. I, you know, look, li- literally since the first quarter of the Notre Dame game, they've been okay. They outscored Notre Dame the rest of the way in that game. They lost, and they should have lost. But look, they lost to Brandon Wimbush. Notre Dame didn't know they had Ian Book. Ian Book didn't play for two games. I still can't get my mind around that. Um, but since then, they've been okay. His his tenure at Michigan is going to be decided, you know, whether it's this year or 10 years from now, 
He's got to beat the rivals. He still has Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State left. Now, if that comes out eight and four and losses to all, you know, those three plus Notre Dame, that's not going to be a good look at all for him. So, yeah, this is, look, this is very in the moment. You know, Jim Harbaugh's okay. Shea Patterson's completing 68% of his passes, doing okay. You know, it's a very boring vanilla offense. The defense is good. But there's got to be results, and those results will start probably being measured again October 13th against Wisconsin. They get Wisconsin at home. So who's under the microscope the most, in your opinion, uh, as a head coach um, that that is realistically is is sort of coaching for their job the rest of the way? Is there anybody? Well, I look. I think it's look. It's very easy. Uh, DJ Durkin at Maryland, although he's not coaching, I think he's gone. Um, but yeah. that's that's not really your question. Uh, you know, David Beatty, I think, is a given at Kansas. I I would I really would watch. Bill Snyder at Kansas State because I I'm close to the pro I live close to it I'm close to the program something's lost there and he snapped at reporters yesterday when they asked again about the two quarterback system and I think we all agree the two quarterbacks you know Alex Denson Denton and uh, Skylar Thompson they're just not very good they try hard but let's call it what it is there's been a you know the talent level there has dropped and guys do you know this the last time, the last time K State started off worse after five games was Bill Snyder's first season in 1989. They're huh. two and they're two and three right now, um, and, and that's because he scheduled all those cream puffs, and they always came out good in the first month of the season. So I think the signs are there for a four and eight season. And how does that look at age 79 with a guy who's very stubborn and wants his son to succeed? And we all know that story. Uh, it could get very, very ugly at, at Kansas State. So it isn't he still doesn't he still sort of dictate the terms of his employment? Like, yeah, he, I mean, he still is is unfireable, isn't he? I think that's the question. He's, he's I don't think he's unfireable at four and eight. If you look at their schedule and how they play, that's a definite possibility where the AD or somebody has to go in there and go, Bill. It ain't working out. Uh, you know, we had a streak of eight straight bowls. You know, even, even if it's going to come back, you're 79. Somebody has to say those tough words to him. And Jim Levitt isn't getting any younger, and, and Brent Venables isn't getting any younger, and anybody they're going to go after isn't getting any younger. You know, I, I think in the end, and I, I, you know, I was told this by by officials there. They're not going to let him promote his son. There's language in his contract where it says, you know, he's going to have a hand in the new coach. Well, for people that don't know, uh, Sean Snyder's the, the special teams coach, a very good one. He's been national assistant coach of the year. He's never called a play. He's never coordinated a, an offense or defense. And his, his, his uh, dad continually is, you know, hammering for him to get the job. So that, that I would watch that. That could be a flashpoint in the offseason or, or even before because this is not trending well for K-State couple of ACC coaches with big money buyouts. Larry Fedora about 12 million, Bobby Petrino about 14 million. Between those two, do you how many of them do you think are back coaching their current team in 2019? I, I think Fedora's gone um, unless there's a dramatic improvement and I think Fedora, you know, he knows he's gone. Um, you know, after after what the season's gone through so far. Uh, I think he's a good coach. 
but I think Bubba Cunningham, the AD there, you know, you don't you don't agree to these buyouts unless you know you're going to have to bite the bullet someday, and this this is that day. That was embarrassing against Miami last week. What was it? Thirty-seven point loss, six turnovers. The turnover chain needed a needed a full cleaning after that. It was so worn out being around those sweaty necks. Uh, so and it and it doesn't look they've got they've got a week off. I'm looking at the schedule now. Virginia Tech at Syracuse at Virginia Georgia Tech at Duke. I don't see a win there uh, for certain until Western Carolina on November 17. So. But the Petrino thing, I think that's interesting. It was suggested to me if they want to clean house, you know, the last vestiges of, of uh, Tom Jurich is is Bobby Petrino. And he's got the, the nepotism thing going there. He's got two relatives working on a staff during a year when the school has put in a specific nepotism policy to keep from this thing from happening. Now he's vetted it. But I think his son is a quarterback's coach and his brother-in-law is something. But – and it didn't help last week against Florida State. That was horrible. Yeah, they've got a. They're playing on Friday night at home on national television against Georgia Tech, and those two teams have combined to start zero and four in ACC play. Wow, that's another one, Paul Johnson. Yeah, I, I almost put him on there. It, you know, just a suggestion. You know, just a speculation. Has has Paul Johnson run his course at Georgia Tech? I don't know. I'm not close enough to that to that program to the fans on a day-to-day basis but it's something you got to think about i think since they won i want to say they won when did they win nine games when they won played for the acc a few years ago they're 19 and 22 so they're just treading water since they went nine and four a few years ago so that that question has to be asked there what's your view on florida state miami yeah it's almost like oh by the way right <laughs> florida state miami i Again, it's, it's like Texas, Oklahoma. It's a rivalry game. I wouldn't be surprised to see Florida State win, but they they haven't cleaned up things. The, the Louisville game was handed to them in the last minute or two. Miami, I think, has well, I know has better players. The quarterback thing with Nikosi Perry has has worked out. Uh, they're committed to him now, so I think they're a more efficient offense. I, I, I think Miami wins that game. I don't, I, I don't have much faith in, uh, in Willie Taggart right now. Mm. He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. He will be on the scene and on CBS Sports HQ talking all about uh, the Red River shootout between Oklahoma and Texas. Dennis, thank you very much. All right, guys. Thanks so much.